I'm going to do it next year. Yeah, I'll get around to it next time. I'm just too tired from work. This is the place to get motivated, inspired, focused, and learn some new game. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here. Uh, this is Work It Like a Job. My name is Michael Dean. I am uh, talking with Miles Marshall Lewis. Sir, how are you? Yo, I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. We just had a phenomenal conversation about Prince. So some of y'all who listen to the whole podcast juice you know, network, you've, you've already heard that. And uh, we're just going to continue rolling forward here. And uh, Miles, man, I really wanted to ask you a few different things. But uh, the first thing, man, I want to say I salute you. I want to salute you uh, for, you know, just uh, being a father, man, and, and you know, your family. I saw the video uh, of you and your family at uh, Disneyland. Oh, cool. You know, yeah. I yeah, thought that, that was, was so dope. Disney man. World. Okay, thing, Disney World. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in Florida. Yeah, that was that was dope. You know, we had gone to Euro Disney uh, before, but you know, then they had forgotten about it because they were so young. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we went to went to Disney, and it was part of this Ebony Disney sort of promotion. So they they did like this real you know professional videotape of it. It was cool. It was like super early in the morning, and the park hadn't opened yet. So I felt like we were Jay Z and Beyonce because it was like you know <laughs> we just had full access to the park okay like nobody was there and usually there's like 20 million people there you know nice no i love it man i mean just the the imagery of it all and just you know like we need to see stuff like that you know you know the 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 mom and the dad you know the kids there and just enjoying things man i i really appreciate you know you being the being able to put that out there you know uh and and you know because a lot of times, you know, I kind of come from, uh, I guess you say, an artist background. You know, I'm mm. not going to play myself out, but I used to rap and different things. And I, one of the things when you're an artist and you're a young man, it's always sometimes where you don't, you know, at least it's maybe different now. But back then, almost like the Im- the family image wasn't really pushed out there a lot. Like you kind of had to present yourself as kind of being single or you kind of yeah, kept, kept that in the background. But, that's true yeah so i think now we could see more of the family unit and that doesn't mean that you don't stop doing your thing like you don't stop being a writer and a critic and things of that nature but that's what makes you more whole and actually in my opinion i think gives you a better perspective to have a voice right because you know in your personal life yeah you are a father you're you know, a husband you know, you're a leader of your family or a contributor of your family. So that sort of gives you more of a insightful take on things than just the young dude or the young woman who has no obligations to anything. <laughs> you know yeah, no, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I used to feel that way, you know, kind of in my 20s, definitely. I, I guess maybe most of us, well, I can't speak for most of us, but let's just say that uh, I felt like once I have a kid, my career is is over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, mm-hmm. like before I had kids, I thought that like, well, you know, in fact, I didn't have kids until my first book came out in 2004 because I felt like, you know, at least if I don't do anything else, I had this one book that I put out, you know, because <laughs> you just think that, you know, family life is going to be like such a time suck that you're not right. going to be able to get anything else done. And uh, it, it turns out not to be that way. You know, it turns out to be... Uh, a really healthy balance, you know, you can't, uh, can't chase women forever, you know, um, it's <laughs> right. like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's healthy to, to 
grow into like a different phase of things mm-hmm. in terms of you know being uh you know a patriarch and and just you know helping bring these other lives into you know an understanding of themselves and stuff as a father and uh you know and and maintaining a a long term relationship you know mm-hmm. marriage wise like marriage is is certainly no walk in the park and it's not for everyone it's uh, no easy and, you know, road <laughs> nah man you know I mean it, it may not even be listen you know meant yeah. to last forever in all cases sure. but True. I uh but you know it's it's um it's it's a worthy experience <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't doesn't sound romantic at all but you know okay. uh keeping it real yeah I'm glad I did it and I'm, gl- I'm glad that you know that we're doing this uh me and my wife and my two kids, my two sons. Okay. All right. Now I, res- I respect everything you said. I I've had the uh, experience. I'm not gonna say displeasure. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say I had the blessing <laughs> to to okay. walk down that road a couple times. I'm still learning. So you know. I uh, feel you. Yeah, man. Um, I don't want to ask you this question. This is something uh, I'm uh, will be asking everybody, and hopefully it sets the tone. I feel that we, whatever, whoever you are. Uh, you have to sign a, a take an oath or you sign a contract <clears throat> or make a commitment. And that first thing that you have to commit to, in my opinion, is yourself uh, in terms of like you got to agree to yourself and t- tell yourself, this is what I want to do with my life or this is what I want to do right now, whatever. And I got to hold myself accountable to that, whatever that thing is. Um, so with that said, what is the things or thing that miles makes a commitment to himself about yeah that's that's easy uh funnily enough you know i remember the day um well let me backtrack i was in uh morehouse right for undergrad and i i graduated uh i was it was like 1993 i was like i don't know 22 probably and uh and i went to law school directly afterwards i wanted to be an entertainment lawyer and i ended up you know not wanting to do that uh you know what i really wanted to do was be a writer but i felt like maybe it was too difficult or you had to know somebody or Mm -hmm. there's a million people who want to be a writer you know like following an artistic path was to me maybe not as as viable as uh just having, you know, a law degree and, and going that route. Well, you got to have a good job now. Right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, believe me, I was hearing that, you know, at the time. Right. And, you know, I almost got bamboozled. But uh, mm. but anyway, uh, I came to the realization really early that, okay, actually, I have a, a purpose, you know. And uh, what my purpose is, is to uh, experience life, right, and to report on those experiences, you know, like do stuff and then share it with other people so that, you know, they can maybe get something out of it. You know, I mean, I was definitely influenced by Maya Angelou as a writer uh, because she had like four different memoirs of just this amazing life of like living in Ghana and traveling the world and, you know, uh, these different phases of her life. She was a dancer. She was an actress, you know, a poet, obviously. Uh, you know, she had met Malcolm X. You know, she had done all this stuff. And it was like, to me, you know, that was the type of writer I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to like live, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> to... Um, 
you know, like that's that's what writers did to me, you know, in terms of Hemingway riding elephants, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> in the Sahara. Like that's, you know, like writers, you know, writers did stuff and then uh, reflected on those experiences, you know, like uh, to inspire and, um, you know, to sort of, I don't know, teach or, or, you know, whatever you as a reader glean from those experiences when you're reading about them. That was sort of um, what I decided to to commit to you know and i remember coming to that realization however i came to it and sharing it with my mother at the time uh who i was living with during law school and um and you know she was just like okay you know but go buy me some bread at the supermarket (laughs) (laughs) you know whatever but uh but yeah and you know i think that um it's still it's still the same today i mean um you know, not to say that I, I've ridden elephants, but uh, but just in terms, you know, I lived in Paris, right, uh, between the years of um, 2004 and 2011, and learned French while I was over there. My kids were born over there, and so they mm. have dual nationality, and they're you know uh, bilingual. Wow. And um, I, during law school, I studied abroad in London. I was there for like four months, trying to write my first book because I was 24 at the time and like I'd read that Baldwin wrote his first book at 24, you know, and I had to like, you know, I didn't want to get too old, right. To, <laughs> to write a book. <laughs> yeah. You know, God forbid I should be 25 and write a book. <laughs> so, you know, and I finished it and, uh, it's, you know, not good, but I finished it. And, um, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I, I, have, I I've been an editor and a writer at all these different, publications and magazines you know like I, I created the life that I sort of had wanted for myself you know um influenced by you know not just Maya Angelou but um music journalists you know cultural critics okay. like Nelson George mm-hmm. you know Nelson George and Greg Tate for sure mm-hmm. you know and uh Lisa Jones uh of the Village Voice who wrote a great book Bulletproof Diva collecting a lot of her Village Voice writing and uh okay. and then you know Vi Magazine came out the year that I graduated college and um, I thought it was really exciting that hip hop culture would have its own Rolling Stone and Mm -hmm. you know I interned there uh, on their first issue uh, the Snoop issue actually yeah Uh, yeah the test issue was uh, was the the Naughty by Nature joint Tresh was on the cover but yeah um, anyway I interned there that summer of 93 and eventually became the music editor uh, six years later and uh, yeah you know it's just um, you know it's uh, it's a matter of opinion how you know amazing quote unquote you know <laughs> of a life I've made for myself but the point is that like I I made the life that I, I wanted to make you know I didn't want life to just have its way with me you know I wanted okay. to direct direct the course of it a little bit you know with some intention and you know some some self-actualization and so that's what I kind of hope that I've done. Okay. Go- going back to even before Morehouse and, and things of that nature, uh, you say you grew up in the Bronx? Yeah, man. Okay. Yeah, Northeast Bronx. Uh, I was in the South Bronx, so I was like four. Then we moved to the Northeast. But like I had uh, my mom's parents and my father's parents uh, both lived in the South Bronx still. And even okay. great grandparents, you know, I. I had both of my great grandmothers alive till I was like 13, mm. and um, one of them also lived in the South Bronx. So I was like there all the time, you okay. know. 
Christmases and Thanksgivings and baby being babysat and all of that. <laughs> nice. Now, are your parents, mother and father, t- together when you were a child? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They they got divorced when I was in college, you know. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But I grew up with, with both parents. I have two younger brothers, and they were the ones who sort of saw the divorce, like mm. you know, as this this big thing um because they were there you know mm-hmm. seeing it happen in front of them and uh and they were younger and so maybe it affected them differently but you know i was an adult by the time they they split and i was i sort of dealt with it differently i imagine and uh so you were the older brother or you are the older brother yeah yeah, yeah. i'm the oldest of three and um mm-hmm. there's like a eight year and a 10 year split between me and my younger brothers so it's like okay. i was an only child for a long time that were very very similar. I have a, yeah. a sister. She's ten year apart. She's oh, okay. younger than me. Um, and that's the other funny thing I wanted to mention. Um, because you you mentioned the Bronx, and again, I've never been there, but I grew up in a time where obviously very influenced by the media. And I remember as a kid, you know, like the Bronx, all I was shown was these movies of a wasteland. <laughs> Like, right, right. Like Fort Apache, the Bronx, and then some of these other, uh, you know, the Warriors, or and 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 even I think even some parts in like B Street or something, they would just see these houses and buildings that seemed to be like they were nuked or something. Like was was that just media or was some of that real? And I assume it is totally different today. But was there yeah, any I mean, that was no, that was totally for real. That mm. was that was totally for real. I mean, I um was born in 1970 so in terms of my memories you know of like the 1970s and the south bronx you know i was uh you know a little kid up until the age of 10 you know uh living through that whole era of uh you know fort apache the bronx i mean uh it's like yeah you know there were there was a lot of arson in the south bronx and so a lot of Mm. those buildings were burned out and not reconstructed and for that matter, a lot of the landlords would sort of set fire to the building so that they could get the insurance uh, money. Gotcha. And um, yeah, I mean, anytime I look through pictures of like Jamal Shabazz, you know, has these uh, great photographs of, um, you know, the crack era of New York City and, and just all that early hip hop stuff. Uh, I expect to like see myself as a little kid <laughs> jumping on a you know dirty mattress or something like you know what I'm saying that was okay. that was very much uh, what we you know what we saw. Um, I definitely remember hearing uh, cool DJ AJ who used to DJ with uh, Curtis Blow. I believe he passed away, but I remember like going to a park jam because. Uh, St. Mary's Park was right outside where my grandmother lived on Caldwell Avenue in the South Bronx. And uh, my uncle, you know, wanted to go outside and he, you know, she was like, take miles, you know, like I had to be, you know, the killjoy or whatever. And uh, and he took me out there. And but just like she lived on the ninth floor. And I remember how loud the sound system was from the park. Mm. You know, it was like this this i don't know you know uh uh apache by the incredible bongo band or you know like whatever was playing you know like that type of stuff and it was like yeah take miles with you and i went out and and saw really you know what it was about you know like uh people break dancing out there and just partying and the dj you know doing what he was doing and stuff like that but i mean at different points like grandmaster flash used to dj out there uh 
Wow. You know, you, you're familiar with the history of hip hop. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like all of those park jams and uh, stuff like that. So, you know, I didn't know these DJs by name because I was a shorty. I was, you know, right. six, six, seven, eight years old. But I mean, you know, I was familiar with hip hop before Rapper's Delight came out. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, um, what sort of motivated you to go to Morehouse? Uh, it was school days. It was spiky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, yeah, maybe yeah. a combination of that and a different world, which had launched the year that I was a senior in high school. You know, it was like time to go to college. And all of a sudden I was getting all these messages, you know, from pop culture about black mm-hmm. colleges. And so school days was Spike Lee's second movie. And it came out mm-hmm. that year for me as well, that senior year where I was applying to places. And I was aware that he went to Morehouse and uh, I didn't get into Morehouse straight away because my grades weren't good enough. Uh, I went to Morris Brown College, which um Okay. Has fallen on hard times these days. They're not accredited anymore. And uh, the dorm that I used to stay in when I started has been demolished and stuff like that. But Morris Brown was part of like the Atlanta University Center. So you had Spellman and Morehouse where they filmed scenes from a different world at. And then they had Clark uh, Atlanta University, which is what used to be called Clark College back in the day when I was there. And then they had Morris Brown. So uh, so Morehouse said no, and I think Howard told me no also. But Morris Brown, uh, they accepted me on probation. And I went down there and, uh, you know, and saw that, like, Morris Brown wasn't really going to be for me. But uh, I got my grades up, you know, high enough to be able to sort of transfer. And once we were in that center, you know, it was kind of easier to transfer from school to school. Okay, You could even take classes that different schools at the center and stuff so i did what i had to do and i i you know i went to morehouse was there uh so coming from new york and then going to you know atlanta and, and going to school was there any kind of uh culture shock or what was the you know coming from where you came to come near were you the, the east were you considered the east coast cat you know or, or it was <laughs> the country or what how did that work yeah i mean it was interesting you know i wouldn't say that it was a culture shock uh but it was like maybe my first taste of how big a deal like new york city was to people outside mm-hmm. of new york city okay. you know mm-hmm. um I didn't I didn't quite realize that, I, you know, uh, I don't I don't know really even what I thought. I, you know, I was just, you know, I'd been outside of New York. I had relatives in Baltimore and we would go there sometimes and okay. even Virginia. And, uh, you know, we made some excursions to Florida for Disney and Epcot Center and stuff like that. And, you know, but I mean, uh, and I'd never been to Atlanta before, certainly. And then just being in college surrounded by, you know, different students from all around the country around the world actually um did open my eyes i mean i came to college in 88 and i was definitely all about you know public enemy Mm. it takes a nation of millions to hold us back and love love sexy was also (laughs) you know (laughs) in heavy rotation and uh and there were definitely you know cats clowning me for having this album with this naked man on the cover and you know they were like listening to too short you know and uh waking me up every morning with you know biatch you know like (laughs) while i'm trying to like sleep through my classes you know but um but you know it was my introduction to 
definitely music that was new. You know, maybe if I had stayed in New York, I would have heard it anyway because it was it had just come out. But definitely Too Short and Easy E and NWA and Ice T. Mm-hmm. You know, that was all music that I was not listening to in New York. And it, you know, most of that stuff came out in '88. So, like I said, mm-hmm. uh, had I stayed. Maybe I would have heard it anyway. But, you know, back then there was elitism against music that was not from New York, right. hip hop anyway, that was not from New York. So, you know, I didn't hear that stuff and immediately love it at all. You know, I was very, you know, New York centric, like, you know, get that out of here, play Public Enemy, play Big Daddy Kane, play Boogie Down Productions. You know, I was very into conscious rap and trying to, you know, like, uh, explain you know to cats from oakland why their music was negative <laughs> see that, that's i'm glad you brought that up because you know i talked about this before now i'm from the west coast right uh, but again we had at least the cats that i was with we had such a strong sort of uh, interpretation to listen to nwa and ice cube because we were listening to p.e and Big Daddy and Karis and the stuff that they were talking about. And it was like, I knew what Easy e and them were about, at least what, it, you know, on the surface. <laughs> I, I was like, that, they, they talking crazy. Like, why would I want to <laughs> listen to that? But I think it was, you know, I'm, for me, it was the uh, America's Most Wanted. I okay. It was the production and it was so dope. And I was like, I had to listen to I was like, I I remember my friend giving it to me and I was like, man, I don't want to hear that because he be talking crazy. You know, that ain't, right. that ain't for us. But it was so dope and I would attribute to Cube, you know, obviously he can sort of oh, uh, yeah. tell you the story and, and add sort of the political or social element to it, not just be about shooting people for no reasons. So he had that ability. Plus it was, you know, the bomb squad. But, I, but, I'm, right. but it sounds like to you there was sort of like that, yeah, I'm listening to this, you know, conscious stuff or I'm listening to PE Black Medallion on why why I want to be dealing with sagging and you know Yeah, I mean definitely, you know, they didn't win me over until uh the chronic, you know. Uh I I just um all of that stuff, you know, at the time, uh I tried my best to ignore it. You know, it was in the ether, so you could I mean definitely at a black college you couldn't ignore it. it. You know, it was at the parties and all of that and, you know, in the dorm and, and whatnot. But I wasn't buying it. Um, you know, I was uh, listening to, you know, A Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, Public Enemy, uh, I don't want to say they fell off, but, you know, there was a there was a point. Started where, to fade a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, you know, I was into the Bomb Scout production so it was like there was an album you know i guess it was apocalypse uh what was it called oh, damn it, I can look it up something about, about yeah. 91 and the apocalypse something yeah. i was just I, I didn't you know i played it uh i think by the time i get to arizona is on there but like you know uh i didn't really bump it the way I, I had been bumping like fear of a black planet and stuff like that so uh I, you know, I pledged, right, uh, a fraternity. I, I'm a member of Alpha, Phi Alpha, right? Okay. So we had some kind of road trip. Maybe we went down to Daytona Beach for spring break or something. And uh, so my frat brothers put the chronic in and, like, we <laughs> listened to it, you know, five times on the way to, you know, Florida. And um, 
And, you know, I, I mean, the chronic is undeniable. You know what I'm saying? Like, right, I had right. ears. <laughs> it's just, uh, <laughs> you know, at the, even at the time, though, I was kind of like, I mean, this is dope, but this is dope because Parliament Funkadelic is dope. Like, all he's doing mm-hmm. is Parliament Funkadelic. But then, you know, eventually I was like, nah, you know, there's more to it than that. And and then I just couldn't get enough of it, you know. And by the time Doggy Style came out, you know, I was definitely kind of like, all right, you know, the West got something to say. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it's undeniable. The tone of Snoop Dogg's voice and his flow, oh, yeah. that way we hadn't heard anything like that. And it was just, you, you, you know something's good is good my only thing i could my only takeaway from i could say now is that i wish those anthems to me those are anthems you know, nothing but a g thing and all that stuff it's so almost ingrained in my brain that i know them <laughs> word for word but i right. i only had wish uh those anthems would have been uh th- th- what was spoken in them would have empowered us because as, as as powerful as those songs are now to me that album and that movement are the reason why we, now we have sort of, you know, this billion dollar legal, you know, weed industry and I mean, <clears throat> different things sort of, it, it opens the door for different things. But imagine if, if they'd have let Chuck or somebody write the lyric or at least set you. the tone and we would have had these anthems that would, we would be unstoppable if we had adopted that as opposed to adopted sort of the, you know, the gang culture or, you know, just the drinking and all that other kind of stuff, smoking and mm. stuff. We made smoking legitimate, you know. That's true. And I'm not saying I have anything against it, but I just remember mm. when that came out, I was not for that at all. Like I just felt like that was not <laughs> something that we did as a people. Not to right. say that we wasn't, but I just I didn't feel like that was something that you would spotlight. But uh, right. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I just have a thing. But then again, I love Dr. Dre. I love Snoop. All yeah, I man. still listen to Me his too. stuff. But I just feel like, man, I wish we could have we made anthems. Those those songs are so powerful, like because you you know the rhythms of them, right? As you said, the the, the P funk and all that, it's so ingrained, gets ingrained in us, and it's so catchy, you know. Right. The, so, but anyway, I, yeah, I mean, there's this Netflix documentary, you know, Hip Hop Evolution. Yes. I don't know if you've seen it, seen a bit. but they have like a season two going on right now, and uh, I just finished watching them last night, and. You know, it just reminds me of that time period and how close I was to uh, giving, you know, rappers like uh, E-40 a chance, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, even like, you know, the Ghetto Boys outside of their, you know, big hits, um, you know, UGK. Like, I, you know, I didn't really uh, I wasn't messing with any of that, you know, right. like okay. uh, back in the day, if he wasn't from New York, you know, it was like. I was kind of like, whatever. And, you know, it's unfortunate because those are classic albums. And, you know, those were obviously talented MCs. And, you know, everybody uh, has their own, you know, voice. Everybody has their own, you know, vision. And uh, they were all, you know, being influenced by different stuff. And, you know, uh, one person's Black Panthers, you know as an influence is another person's dolomite like you know people (laughs) (laughs) being uh you know put like throwing their own funk on on hip-hop and that was as it should have been yeah i was watching um it was an interview with molly mall i don't know if it was on the drink champs it was something Mm. but he said something very interesting he talked about he went to miami early on i think it was him and roxanne shante and they were doing a tour or something and he was at a club 
and he said, I think he said Luke, you know, uh, Uncle Luke was there. This right. is before, you know, Two Live Crew was doing anything. But they, mm-hmm. he was, they were there and he was DJing. And, and Marley Moss said, I had my 808 with me, like the actual drum machine. I plugged it in. Right. And I just started tapping the beats. And I'm catching when he's trying to insinuate. And he's like, I was <laughs> and then you know we did our thing and i left mm. like it was nothing and then so it's sort of like that whole sound was me bringing that drum machine down there uh yeah and okay. they ran with that i was kind of yeah. like wow <laughs> i was kind of right but it, you know to, to talk about you know in terms of like new york and hip-hop and the different areas you know i think that's you know and i had the snobbery and i wasn't from there but you know, I had to realize like these, and I think it was, and I'm not going to say the downfall, but I think it's the reason why New York, uh, it's not necessarily the place in hip hop. It should be in terms of the music and, and mm. the artists that are coming out of there. I think because, you know, just like with anything, music and culture, uh, every place has a certain rhythm to it. That's sometimes unique. And I think, after a while it just got to be like you know you can't escape the rhythms of the south or you can't escape sort of the way uh-huh. they would interpret it in the west and it all becomes in this big melting pot of you know it's not going to be boom bap all the time right. or it's not going to be <laughs> right. Miami bass all the time or it's not you know what I mean and I think at the end of the day it's going to be black music all the time that's yeah mass. you know what i'm saying and and that's what yeah. we do and we like to sing and we like rhythms and we like the you know the the movement of it and the groove which is always going to last right and it's just about right. putting that you know rap on top of it or singing or whatever but um you know I, we're getting this part of the conversation because again i think it's hard <laughs> to escape that music uh, meant a lot for us coming up in that time because we were at Definitely. a time where hip hop was moving forward so fast and changing. Like one year it'd be this. You know, we talked about PE was the thing, and then it became you know NWA, and then you know we can't escape the the, the Tupacs and, right. and all that was it was forever changing. Outcast and it was just going yep. to now where it's just a place where it's like they all sort of sound the same now. But I think. Mm. Uh, you know, we definitely came up in a time where it was so evolving and that evolving was so much an influence on all of us and we would meet different people from different areas and each area had their own style. You know right. what I mean? And that was how we affected things. So I, I, you know, like like you said, you were influenced to go to school because you saw something in the media, right? It was the yep. school days and it was Bill Cosby's 100%. different world. Yep. These are powerful yep. things. So, um. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so uh, going to Morehouse, what was what was the things that you learned from that experience that you still hold today? That's that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I, I think that everyone should go away to college first of all. You know, I mean, if you're gonna have the college experience, I think that it's uh, something that should be experienced away from your parents. You know, mm. like. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're applying to colleges, like definitely get applications, you know, away from the hometown because uh, it'll just sort of, you know, f- uh, kind of force an evolution 
you know, or a maturation, let's say, you know, to a certain degree anyway, being on your own uh, outside of the nest, you know, in, mm-hmm. in a, away from the apron strings or whatever. It's like a different situation, uh, in my opinion. You know, I I went to law school in New York while I was living in New York, you know, like, and so I know what it's like to, like, go to class and then come back home, you know, and your mom made something that's you know in the kitchen waiting for you or whatever that versus the whole ramen noodle situation <laughs> of like being on your own or you know eating mcdonald's five days you know whatever right. you want to do it's mm-hmm. like it's on you you know because you're you're solo like uh i think that um that's that's a great just sort of learning experience you'll get you know maybe more from that than you do from your classes just trying to figure out how to manage on your own at like 17 18 19 you know um but yeah, I mean, in terms of specific lessons that I, I learned at Morehouse, I, I guess maybe the main thing, and I don't know if I even really got this f- from the school, um, but just having a passion, you know, doing what it is that you love for a living, you know, uh, following your passion and, and trying to make a living out of that, um, you know, having a career as opposed to a job, you know, hmm. um, because uh I majored in sociology while I was at Morehouse. And as I say, you know, I I applied to law schools. I took the LSAT and I got into um, Fordham Law School here in New York City. But uh, for entertainment law, you know, because that's what I figured that's where I would fit in, you know, because I was such an entertainment head. Um, But that wasn't what I like really wanted to do, you know, (laughs) like that was just sort of a fail safe, you know, that Mm -hmm. was like, that was the the corporate route, you know, like that was sort of, I don't know, you know, that was the thing to do where I can make money and wear suits to work every day. But I didn't really want to do that. You know, like my heart lay with all the artists that I was influenced by, you know, like not only Prince and, and you know, in the music realm, but like Spike Lee and Gordon Parks and, you know, Maya Angelou and, you know, like just artists period you know where where uh where my where my heart was you know um in high school i was like because I, i'm a native new yorker i was going to like broadway plays and seeing august wilson plays uh like fences you know on broadway oh. and i was see- i was seeing alvin ailey dance theater you know um in their annual like christmas uh run that they do downtown at city center uh, i wasn't doing that so much in in um high school but in college definitely it was like a a cool you know date night to take you know your college sweetheart to the alvin ailey thing and you know show her that you have some culture or whatever but like you know whether it was dance or it was theater or it was music or it was literature you know or even like photography in the case of you know gordon parks or richard avedon or you know like whoever was having a dope exhibit at at the museum of modern art or the guggenheim or you know uh something like that like i was always really into that you know i was um i was proud to be up on like jean-michel basquiat before the movie came out you know what i'm saying <laughs> like uh i remember mtv and madonna donating or not donating but let's say uh their funds helped uh, the curation of uh, a Jean-Michel Basquiat exhibit that happened probably at the Whitney Museum back in like 91 or 92, you know, a couple of years after he had died. Mm-hmm. And um, 
and just being blown away by his artwork and, you know, and buying a poster and putting it on my wall and, um, and nobody knowing who he was because, you know, he hadn't been mentioning any rap albums yet. And, uh, <laughs> the movie, the movie hadn't happened yet, you know, stuff like that. But like, um, yeah, you know, that kind of artist life, um, well, you know, it, it was clear to me that I wasn't just drawn to it because it was dope. I was drawn to it because it was sort of a mirror reflection calling to me, like, you know, this is what you should do with your life, you know? Mm. And, um, and yeah, you know, I just, I don't know what it was about my Morehouse experience uh, specifically, but it was just, you know, it, it's an, it's a time where you sort of find yourself, you know, if you're lucky. Okay. And uh, I was lucky to sort of figure out, like, you know, what I would rather do with my life. You know, you only get one is to uh, to follow this artistic path. And so that's that's what I did. And, you know, it's not all gravy. Uh, it is on, you know, a certain level. But, um, you know, there financially there are ups and downs, certainly. <laughs> And there, you know, there are peaks and valleys to it in terms of uh, fallow periods that come, you know, um, it, it's, you know, it's kind of inevitable, I would say. But um, it's just, you know, it's part of the ride, you know. Interesting. Now, was there any uh, pushback from family as opposed, you know, for, instead of you going for more of a traditional job to, you know, doing what you do or getting involved in writing and stuff? For sure. I mean, my parents were supportive, but my grandparents were a little more old school. You know, um, I had a grandmother in particular who, uh, you know, I don't fault her. <laughs> she was just more pragmatic, you know, um, more of a realist, you know, and was definitely kind of like, you know, it's time to get a real job, you know, type of thing. <laughs> you know, and maybe... Not you know, not everybody's gonna see the vision. You know, from a, she's from a different time, I would imagine too. Though that's a yeah, exactly. You know, you know yeah. like she worked at AT and T for like fifty years straight, and mm -hmm. you know, got the gold watch, and mm -hmm. and God bless her because when she got that job, she was you know, um, you know, it was an era that you know they didn't hire black people to do what she did, and uh, and you know, she took great pride in in her company, you know, and having stock in it and all of that, you know, um, I mean, uh, you know, definitely props to her, but, uh, that wasn't going to be my path, you know, and, uh, it, there was no great pushback. Uh, no, you know, thankfully, um, you know, I always had my degree to fall back on, you know, I guess that's the way they looked at it. You know, I could get a quote unquote real job if I, if I had to, you know, but then they realized, I guess, after a while that, uh, my field is a, a real field, mm -hmm. you know, like, you, uh, mm -hmm. you know, as I got, you know, away from, well, never really getting away from the freelance writing, but as I became an editor as well and started getting hired by double XL magazine and BT and vibe magazine and, uh, you know, Ebony, uh, as an editor, you know, then it kind of became like, Oh, well, yeah, you know, they are editors. Those are real jobs that, you know, like, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's true that, you know, that is actually a career. Journalism <laughs> is, is a career, duh, you know? So, uh, they, you know, I think maybe if anything, what threw them off was the hip hop thing. Cause you know, uh, okay. older, older folks at the time maybe felt like hip hop wasn't going to be around all that long enough mm -hmm. to be able to write about it in your, you know, 
late 40s like you, I'm doing currently. You ain't going to be retiring writing about no goddamn Flavor Flav. Right. right, right, right. You know, meanwhile, I'm like, you know, 47 and I'm right. working on a Kendrick Lamar book right now for St. Martin's Press, you know. Oh, so congratulations. Uh, who knew, though, you know, that it, it, whatever in the early 90s that that was going to be like something that was possible. You know, there were like a mm-hmm. handful of hip hop books in the early 90s, if there were any at all. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, a couple of things. One, you know, I think we both sort of come from an era where our grandparents or their, our parents and their grand or their parents is a different time in terms of how you, you know, got a job. And if you you right. got that job, you stayed there. And, yep. you, you know, that you, you're lucky to get that job. You know, you can raise your right. family on that. I think now, you know, we sort of come in on this, you know, obviously the, you know, with the internet really blowing up in our lifetime where you can see the both sides of the coin on that, the opportunities and different things are way different, right? Like, yeah, grandma, that ain't how, you know, yeah, we, that, that is us that are, are journalists or that is mm-hmm. us that, you know, so we're not just, you know, relegated to these one type of jobs. We can do all of this stuff. There's so much other opportunities um, available to us and that we are actually doing. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, she was on my father's side. That was my father's mother. Okay. But uh, my grandfather, uh, on my mother's side, you know, uh, the dad of my mom, uh, he was a numbers runner, you know, in Harlem. Oh, okay, wow. Uh, he, was, he wasn't actually a, the runner. He was like the numbers banker. You know, he had numbers runners working for him. So <laughs> he was uh, the man who paid for my whole Morehouse education. You know, I didn't wow. take out any loans to go to Morehouse. I, uh, you know, the tuition was paid for by my grandfather, who mm. was a numbers banker, which was, you know, an illegal operation. Mm-hmm. And... Um, <laughs> That's he was sort of more, uh, how do I say this? Like in terms of being an entrepreneur, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. that was his business that he created. You know, like it was only illegal because taxes weren't being taken out of it. But all he was doing was what Lotto was doing. Right. You know, all, like the quick pick or whatever you call mm-hmm. it. You know, that's that's all he was doing. But you know that that goes back. You know, that's got like a long line of tradition in terms of. The black community, right? Especially in Harlem, you know, numbers running and stuff like that. And so, uh, I think you know, in his heart of hearts, he was sort of more about you know making your own path in the world, mm-hmm. you know, and not not working for the man, and uh, you know, working it out because he was definitely kind of the richest person in my family, you know, the ri- the richest elder in my family, and he uh, made it happen himself, you know. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because, again, a lot of times you will see uh, the person that sort of is doing the, you know, somewhat illegal or outside of the norm sort of thing. And they're accumulating some money that they usually are more of the entrepreneur, have the foresight to here, let me go on and fund this thing because I see what this person's doing you know, we see that with, you know, just going back to hip hop for a minute, some of these hip hop dynasties that we have now, you know, where were they right. initially got their money from, right? It wasn't, right. It wasn't exactly. somebody that saved up all their coins from work. It was the, the cat who <laughs> was in the street or whatever and had, they said, yo, I see what y'all are doing. Yo, take right. that, you know? So yeah, that entrepreneur spirit, I'm sure given other opportunities, they would have been running 
yeah, the, the big companies, companies. You know what I'm right. saying as well, right? <laughs> right, right. And, I mean, as an aside, before I forget, uh, one of the numbers runners that my grandfather had working for him, incidentally, was um, Clarence Williams III, who played uh, Prince's father <laughs> in Purple Rain. Wow. Don't yeah, I keep so, the heat on? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, I mean, you know, I don't remember seeing center. him. <laughs> I don't remember seeing him when I was when I was young, you know. But that's wow. just uh, that's crazy. That was just sort of the community, you know. Uh, you know, my grandmother, uh, his wife, had managed to like smoke a joint with Billy Holiday, you know, at some point <laughs> somewhere because they had a mutual friend. You know what I mean? Like right. that was sort of. Uh, that was that was Harlem in the forties and fifties and sixties. Wow, amazing! And he was uh, obviously he was big in the Mod Squad, uh, right? With a TV show, uh, man. Okay, wow. Um, the other thing too, I wanted to ask you. Oh, I also wanted to ask you this. Um, what you became you know, to be a, a writer? What sort of like keeps you uh, motivated though and disciplined uh, to do this? If you're not you know, somewhat of a traditional early on a traditional thing. What, what's the thing that kept you like, yo, I'm going to keep writing or stick with this. Yeah. I mean, other writers have said this, you know, but (laughs) it's just, I'm not good at anything else. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I mean, uh, writing is just the thing that I I have to do. You know, Um, I was in high school, not getting great grades, which is why I ended up, you know, uh, on probation at Morris Brown College in the first place. Uh, but uh, I always had advanced placement English classes because, uh, you know, reading was, you know, important to me. And uh, I had grown up on comic books and, you know, kind of taught myself how to read before I even started school mm. with a diet of like Marvel Comics and Sesame Street and Electric Company. You Electric know. Company. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you know, guys. Hell yeah. And, you know, Sp- Spider-Man and Morgan Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Easy Reader, you know what I'm saying? Okay. And so uh, <laughs> basically, uh, I had a journal that I started keeping because the teacher told us to keep a journal, you know, a diary or whatever, uh, in maybe 10th grade. I-, I was 15, and that was when I started journaling. So I never stopped, you know, the assignment ended and summer came and whatever you hand it in or you don't, or she checks it. But like, I kept doing that. And, um, Hmm. so, you know, like Malcolm Gladwell from the New Yorker talks about putting in your 10,000 hours Mm -hmm. to master something, you know, and I kind of inadvertently, you know, mastered, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say I mastered writing, but you know, (laughs) I I got a lot better at it, (laughs) you know? I got a lot better at it uh, writing in my journal on a regular basis. And that's why I have like, I don't know, uh, these detailed memories of what happened during certain eras, you know, of, of hip hop or or even, you know, what was happening with, with Prince in the 80s and stuff like I can always kind of refer to, you know, my 16 year old notes of when, wow. you know, uh, Sign of the Times came out and, you know, like what people initially thought and mm-hmm. what Nelson George said in Billboard, you know, because he had a column and, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I don't know, you know, uh, to answer your question, it's just kind of like I I was a writer before I decided to make it like a career, you know, um, even before the journaling, uh, I was a comic book head and I would write letters to uh fan letters to comic books and they would get published, you know? Um, 
like Captain America, you know, published me uh, when I was 11 years old. And I like remember the feeling of being like in the sixth grade or so, and come, you know, coming to school with the comic in my hand, like showing everybody's my, my byline, basically, wow. you know, like my name and in, in Captain America and people being like, that's not you, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> and just, you know, like, wow, I wrote to them with my opinion about this art that I loved mm-hmm. and they published it and you know, that was when I was 11 and that is basically what I'm still doing. Incredible. Incredible. Um, let's see. We'll wrap things up here. Was I think there's three things I want to ask you first. The first one is, uh, being a, your father, you have two boys. That's true. 13 and 11, 13 and 11. What do you now, you know, 47, you've been married, you're married kids. What do you, trying to uh, trying what are you uh instilling in them in terms of you know how they want to go about their life a good question i mean um good question you know there's this phrase that always stuck out to me of being the greatest version of the grandest vision for who you really are you know, okay. I think that came from like conversations with God or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, I'm sure it was um, conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. And it was just this phrase that he kept repeating in that book and in the, the sequels to it. You know, um, that's sort of what I want, you know, for them. Uh, you know, it may seem kind of heady, but like basically it's just about uh being the best version of yourself, you know, and like sort of trying to figure out what that is and, and living up to it, you know, and it it Mm. can definitely evolve and, you know, change from year to year and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, what kind of figure out what you're about and be about it, you know, uh, I can't tell you how to live your life. You know, I can't tell them how to live their lives. Uh, you know, everybody has their own path and, you know, you gotta learn your own, lessons sometimes you know i definitely have have learned some on my path you know uh there are stories that i tell a million times about you know my having my byline in comic books and stuff like that and there are stories that i never tell anybody (laughs) about you know like being a booster in college you know like (laughs) stuff like that you know like i don't we don't need to go into all that you know like because i (laughs) i know that uh there were things that I learned that, you know, that diverted me from going down certain paths that I, you know, and, and everything no... ain't supposed, ain't supposed to be told, right? Like, nah, man, you know, it's not all supposed to be told, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, th- that's kind of what I try to teach them. I mean, my oldest is about to go to high school next year. And, um, you know, so he is looking at different high schools and trying to figure out what he wants to do, you know, but it's like, mm-hmm. Uh, I take that with a grain of salt, you know, as a parent, because I remember, you know, being 13, like, you know, come on, like, is it serious that you're really (laughs) supposed to know what you want to do for the rest of your life at 13 years old? Like, nah, B, you know, at 13, what did I want to do at 13? I think I wanted to be a photographer for Playboy magazine. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know, you know what I'm saying? What, come on. I wanted to be like a, a computer programmer for the FBI. Like, I didn't, you know, like, come on. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not putting unrealistic expectations on them. You know, they're children, you know, and they 
they're going to figure out who they are more and more every day, you know. Um, you know, I just, I'm here, you know, to guide them. It's funny, like, I don't know how much of a comic book dude, you know, you are or were, but uh, there's a character uh, named The Watcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, he sits on the moon and, you know, he's not supposed to interfere. He's just supposed to observe. Right. And, uh, you know, <laughs> my father may disagree, but, you know, I, I've talked to him about this before. But to me, that was kind of his parenting style, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, he was definitely there for advice and questions and stuff like that. And he was on his own path in terms of different things he was dealing with, you know, when I was growing up. But uh, I kind of feel like... Um, like that's a great way to be, you know. So I don't, I'm definitely not the helicopter parent, you know. Uh, the, you know, uh, what do they call like the tiger parent? You know, what I'm saying oh, <laughs> like yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not that. I mean, um, you know, I try to be as as zen as I can be and just sort of be the watcher. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, if, you know, they're great kids as well. You know what I'm saying? Like if if they were really knuckleheaded you know i might have to take a different approach (laughs) you know i'm not saying i'm not hands-on but uh you know you can't help but be but you know to the degree that i can i just try and be the watcher and and let them Mm -hmm. you know let them take their own direction you know like it's their lives yo I like that being the watcher you 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 spoke about like the expectations i'm curious do you uh, as you talk about your son looking for the right high school, do you think that uh, the kids today have I don't know, bigger expectations on themselves than we would have at that age back then? Or? Mm, it's hard to say. Um, maybe. I mean, I know that, you know, the Internet exists now, you know, right. and, uh, you know, there are all kind of uh, teenage, you know, YouTube famous you know, type teenagers who I guess maybe are making things happen, certain things happen for their lives. And, you know, there's reality TV where, you know, everybody, there's sort of this greater expectation of becoming rich and famous than there even was, you know, when I, when I was a kid and, you know, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous was on with Robin Leach, you know, <laughs> showing you all these things that you couldn't buy or whatever. And Dynasty in Dallas, <laughs> right, rich people. Right. You know, it's like uh, now maybe you know there's more on their shoulders in terms of like you know design an app and get rich overnight you know or or you know create a youtube channel and get x amount of followers and you know like i mean i you know but i I don't sense that honestly for my kids you know maybe they're just not that motivated (laughs) but i don't i don't get that from them that they they feel pressure to uh to become, you know, a greater success quicker or whatever. I don't, I don't really get that from them now. Okay. Uh, let me ask this, and I'm sort of putting you on the spot, going to give you time to think about it, but tell me three, there's not to be in any order, three movies, not your top movies, but three movies that were the most influential to you. Okay. Um, before Sunrise, let's say. You know, um, Before Sunrise is this movie directed by Richard Linklater uh, with Ethan Hawke and uh, this French actress, Julie Delpy. And it was one of those go-to movies in my 20s where, like, if I was just starting to date you, 
you know, <laughs> it would be it was like a Netflix and show kind of thing where, you know, <laughs> like I'm gonna show you this movie and see what you think of it and you know depending on what you think of it, you know, uh, we may not go out again. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> I just I just love this movie. Um, it was European style in the sense that, like, nothing actually happens. It's just sort of these two characters talking to each other for an hour and a half. You know, um, mm. one is, like, a study abroad student, and the other one is sort of, I don't know, if he's backpacking through Europe or whatever he's doing. They meet on a train, they get off in Vienna, and, you know... And he romances her, you know, uh, they end up sleeping with each other. But, like, basically, um, my wife is French, you know. Um, I met her in Paris. And I think that this movie, you know, was was part of that to me in terms of, like, how uh, interesting it was to me and maybe, I guess, romantic to, like, sort of fall in love with someone from another culture, you know. And... um, because, uh, yeah, Christine, my wife, is she's black, uh, French. She's uh, Her family's from Martinique, you know, but she grew up in Paris and, and nice. you know, has taught me uh, a lot about French culture. And, you know, it's like we trade with each mm-hmm. other, you know, like, and there is this base foundation of being black, you know, that's kind of right. universal. Oh, okay. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just what I needed in my life, you know, uh, romantically, you know, to, to be, you know, linked in this fashion, um, you know, with somebody who has a different culture than me, you know, um, keeps things interesting and it's educational and, and it's, you know, it's cool for my kids to come up under, you know, like, uh, and it's it sort of, I can't say it all came from this movie. Like, I fell in love with her because I fell in love with her, but, you know, yeah, clean before, that up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but before I even met her, there was this movie, and it was like, you know, it was just a romantic idea to me. Um, two more movies. Okay. I would say Basquiat, you know, Basquiat okay. was directed by this uh, artist, Julian Schnabel. I, uh, I'm probably pronouncing his last name wrong. And, um, you know, people, I guess, maybe are more familiar with Basquiat. But, um, you know, uh, David Bowie plays Andy Warhol. And, again, you know, when that movie came out, I knew about Basquiat already, you know. And so I was I was just happy that somebody had made this movie for me to enjoy, you know. Mm-hmm. When I went downtown and there were, like, five people in the whole movie theater, you know, <laughs> of this art house theater, you know, the Angelica um, in New York City or whatever. And, uh and you know whatever critics said about it, I don't think they trashed it. Actually, it was uh, Jeffrey Wright who played Basquiat, and it was just um, it was uh, this great movie to me. You know, in terms of like, if you subscribe to the notion that Basquiat was like a graffiti artist, you know, he used to tag mm-hmm. Samo, and then blew up, and you know, hang out with Fab Five Freddy, you know, what I'm saying, and and uh, whatnot, and then he blew up uh to the point where you know he uh, his uh painting was auctioned last year for like over 100 million dollars or something you know uh and he used to you know eat at Mr. Chow's and um you know like and wear Giorgio Armani suits with paint splattered on it you know it was like he i guess was one of those earlier examples of um coming from hip hop mm-hmm. and taking over you know something that was like kind of quote unquote high art, you know? And um and I felt I felt that, you know, like in terms of 
me coming from the Bronx and, you know, uh, probably getting my first bylines were all hip hop related writing for like the source magazine and okay. rap pages and stuff like that. And then to be able to take that and, uh, you know, eventually write short stories and, and essays and stuff like that. And, you know, be published in the New York times and, um, and come out with books and become an author and, and, uh, you know, even though at that time that I spent in Paris, those years that I spent there, you know, having like a column talking about being like a, a 21st century expat, you know, with like uh, the eyes of a 30 something, you know, like when Baldwin would talk about Paris, he was talking about, you know, tr- cashing like American Express travelers checks, you know, to be able to like <laughs> and like taking the boat over from New York to, you know, France, because you could do that back then, you know, and it, it was like, you know, doing that column, I felt like it, it could use sort of a, you know, a millen- not millennial because I'm not a millennial, but, you know, a new millennium perspective and um, just, you know, whatever. Basquiat, yeah, that okay. was influential. I, I, um, I like that yeah, dude too because uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Keith Haring. I know they sort of have yeah, definitely co- connection. Yeah, there. they were boys. Mm-hmm. They were boys. Um, a third film. Wow. Uh, well, I mean, I could just mention favorite films, but I don't know how much of an influence they were really. You know, I mean, Magnolia certainly is a favorite film of mine. Okay. Um, you know, one of those movies that I've, you know seen over and over i don't i don't see many movies over and over but that one you know i definitely had the dvd and played it you know a million times uh it's the same goes for 2001 even you know stanley kubrick okay uh i love him a lot and um you know there are people (laughs) who are divided on whether or not they can sit through 2001 uh especially the beginning you know or what it means for that matter because you know it seems like I don't know, like it doesn't make sense or whatever, but it's it's a work of art in and of itself, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know, beyond that, The Shining, you know, like a, a love a love a lot of his movies. Uh, you know what I would say? Uh, this is going to be a controversial one, <laughs> but <laughs> Vanilla Sky. You know, nobody cares about Vanilla Sky. Uh, uh, Talk about the movie with uh, Tom Cruise. That's correct. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah like Vanilla that. Sky. You know, uh, toward the end, like he sort of realizes that he's in this uh, lucid dream, I guess, you know, and that um, he's sort of causing things around him to happen, you know, Um, you know, like I remember something with him being in a bar and like at a certain point, you know, everybody in the bar looks at him. It's weird, you know, Um, but like, how can I explain this? It's like, uh, I'm just a, a big believer in self-actualization, right? You know, I do believe that, uh, you know, you take a step toward God and he takes two steps towards you, you know, like you can sort of okay. guide your own path, you know? Uh, I'm a big believer in that. And to me, you know, Vanilla Sky, if you pay attention, uh, you know, life is kind of like that to me, you know? Um, you know, it's, it's not as simple as that all the time. Or it may not seem that way, but... I think that, uh, yeah, you know, you can sort of, you can guide things, you know, to to work the way you sort of want them to, you know, if you believe in it uh, enough. And, uh, and of course, you got to put hard work in and all of that, you know, that's a given. But, uh, but yeah, you know, setting your intention and then sort of moving in that direction, 
you know, I think that uh, there's there's a bit of that, you know, in the subtext of Vanilla Sky. You know, like that's kind of what the movie was about to me. You know, I'm not sure what other people saw and 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 whatnot. You know, I know it, I've seen the original. It was like based on a Spanish movie that I also enjoyed. Okay. But uh, I think Penelope Cruz might have been in both of them, um, the original and the remake. But uh, but either way, uh, yeah, I would say uh, Basquiat, Vanilla Sky, and um, the other one. <laughs> what was the uh, other? What one? did you say? Ah, it's the tip of my tongue. Oh, it was the Ethan Hawke movie. Um, Thank you. Yeah, um, before sunrise. Before sunrise. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, and then the last thing I was going to ask you. Uh, knowing what you still a very young life, but if you could go back to the 16 year old Miles, what would you tell him? Like if you was time travel and I say you got three minutes to tell, him, right. tell your 16 year old self something, what would you tell him? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, okay, so I'm a comic book head, and so I know that you know. <laughs> There are all these time travel stories that, like, you know, break the space time continuum. Exactly, man. (laughs) Don't mess with the space time continuum. You know what I mean? Like, if you change one thing, then who the hell knows? You know what ends up. Well, here, let me let me give you this because I can I I can already see where you're going with some days, futures, past, something. Whatever, (laughs) whatever you tell, it's gonna go down a different timeline. So it ain't gonna change what you're doing. So (laughs) that's true. That's true. (laughs) Nah, you know, I mean, because what my first thought is to tell him not to go to law school, you know, <laughs> because I'm still paying law school loans and I don't even practice, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's like a pain in the ass. But um, but at the same time, you know, if I hadn't gone to law school, I, I wouldn't have studied abroad. I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't, you know, blah, mm. blah, blah. I wouldn't have written that book that got editors to give me assignments, like, et cetera. So, uh, but anyway, nah, you know, aside from maybe don't go to law school, I think that, um, you know, I can't say that growing up in the Bronx, that like the four corners of my block was my universe because, you know, I had traveled a little bit, at least, you know, like I mentioned earlier to Baltimore and, and, uh, DC and Virginia, you know, like that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think when I was 16, you know, there was this sense of, uh, dread, you know, Mm -hmm. like I was, I was a geek. You know, uh, I, I grew up in the Bronx and I, you know, uh, I had my bubble goose, you know, and I carried a butterfly knife in my inside pocket, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I wasn't like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of had to be, you know, but I never used it and I never, you know, like, uh, I had a fight or two, definitely, you know, um, I won some, I lost some, but, you know, I drank forties, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like I was, you know, I was a product of my environment, sure. but I, I had, um, you know, my eyes on something bigger at the same time. And, uh, you know, there were bullies and stuff like that. And I just kind of feel like I didn't realize when I was 16 that when I was 17, I would go to college and, you know, all the situations surrounding me on those like four corners, you know, was going to evaporate. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. like when I was 16, I didn't realize that in 12 months, none of that shit would matter anymore because I would be in Atlanta and I could reinvent myself and, uh, you know, and be surrounded by like people in college who actually were paying to learn, you know, as opposed to being forced to go to school because their parents were, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Making them or, or whatever, you know, it was like, um, 
yeah, you know, there were there were some bleak moments when I was 16 in terms of uh, what was happening in my hood. And, you know, I knew that college was on the horizon, you know, but I didn't quite grasp that that meant that I would never have to see these people again who would end up getting shot or going to jail or whatever, you know. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, had I realized that, you know, I... It, I would have been less stressed, you know. Yeah. So you would have told yourself that there's more out there to life than yes, or, yeah, okay. the, right. You know, there's there's more to life than uh, than this neighborhood. You know, like uh, things are. You know, it's, the the world is vast. You know what I mean? Okay. Okay. And you, you know, I mean, I'm blessed that I was able to go away to college. You know, uh, I realized that. Uh, Exploring the world is is not everybody's option, you know, and um, I'm I'm very grateful for that, you know. But uh, but that was my circumstance, and yeah, I would go back and tell my my 16 year old self, you know, that uh, you know, you're about to discover a lot of different things. Just hold on a second. All right, I I would have told myself to copyright the Facebook. <laughs> Good idea. Good one. Get my money. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. All right. Well, Miles, man, thank you so much for oh, sharing you, and being this on. This was illuminating. Man. This was great. Oh, good, man. Good. Hopefully. Um, oh, also too, uh, duh, you are a writer. Tell the people your books uh, so that we can look those up. Uh, we, we didn't really mention those. What, what book? Tell us about your work so we can go find them. Oh uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, you can go to Amazon and type my name, and my books come okay. up. I have um, two. They are uh, Scars. Scars is a book about growing up in the Bronx and watching hip hop evolve. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of a memoir, but it's a it's a memoir told in essays. You know, mm. and um, I interviewed Africa Bombada and Russell Simmons and Questlove and Karis One, some different people, but then half of it, I don't really talk to anybody. I'm just explaining, you know, what hip hop was like outside of my window in, in the mid 70s and uh, stuff like that. Um, you know, the manager of Dougie Fresh, you know, being the choir director at my high school and, oh, and wow. stuff like that. Uh, then the second book is is entitled There's a Riot Going On because it's all about the making of that album by the same name uh, by Sly and the Family Stone that came out in 1971. It was the number one album, I think, on my first birthday. Um, and it, you know, was always sort of uh, a favorite of mine. And, and uh, it, you know, it's part of a series, actually, of uh, books about classic albums yeah. put out by the 33rd... Thirty-three and a third uh, mm. books, I believe. Um, I read they've done a lot it of just, them. It just dawned on uh, me. I read this book. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not even gassing yeah. you up. Like I legitimately, I bought this a long time ago. I read. Yeah, I read this. I had. Oh uh, yeah, respect. Nah, you know, <laughs> I uh, I've read a bunch of them myself. You know, what got me into the whole series was uh, the one about Sign, Sign of the Times. Times you know, yeah. mm -hmm. and then um, they've done other ones. You know, on Pet Sounds and Electric Ladyland and stuff like that. But mine was on. Slime the Family Stone, you know, as much of a Prince lover as I was, my pops was definitely quick to turn me on to Sly Stone yeah. and Jimi Hendrix and, mm -hmm. you know, his heroes when I was, you know, uh, playing Parade and Sign of the Times nonstop. And so, you know, I had just as much love 
you know, for those folks, you know, and and so did Prince for that matter. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I, I decided, you know, instead of trying to write about Purple Rain or something, that I would go back uh, to the Architects and and write about one of those records. So that as well, and then uh, people can read my articles and essays and stuff at my website, which is MML, like my initials, MMLUnlimited.com. And I've got a book coming out next fall uh, about Kendrick Lamar um, that is going to be put out by St. Martin's Press that I'm, I'm writing right now. So I'm hard at work. All right, man. Well, as we always say, work it like a job. My name is Michael Dean. We will see you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Work It Like a Job podcast. Check us out at workitlikeajob.com or podcastjuice.net. Be sure to click on the gear tab and get your official Work It Like a Job t-shirt.